John chapter 14 this morning. We'll begin reading in verse 15 and read down to verse 18. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15 this morning. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The word comfort in verse 16 and the word comfortless in verse 18 have two different Greek words. I'm going to focus on the one in verse 16, but I want to just mention the one in verse 18. I will not leave you orphanos. Greek. I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you without a parent. I will not leave you without a guardian. I will not leave you by yourself. I will come to you. What an amazing, amazing truth is found in just one word here in all of the words in verses 15 through 18. Well, let's come back to the text as I read it. First John 14 is a testimony of our Lord's work in our life and its results. John chapter 14 focuses upon first faith in the first 14 verses and then love and obedience in verse 15. Faith, love, and obedience in the first 15 verses of this chapter. From the scriptures, as we've been looking at these verses, we know and have learned that faith and love are bestowed by the grace of God and not because of any works on our part. We also know and have learned that God is the one who initiates faith and love in our life. He is the one who has bestowed faith and love in our life. And we receive only what God has given us. If we have anything of faith, it is because God has given it to us. If we have anything of love, it is because God has given it to us. The third thing is that faith and love work in our life. So that we seek the Lord's will and seek to do it. This morning, our Lord adds another truth. And teaches us the necessity of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a child of God. The Lord had told his disciples that he was going to leave them several times already. Once in John 7 and verse 33, he said, I go unto him that sent me. Now he says that he will not leave them without another comforter who is the spirit of truth. Verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, and that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. He repeated that same promise in chapter 16, 
Remember chapter 14, 15, and 16 are the instructions of our Lord Jesus Christ on the night before He's betrayed as He's traveling from Bethany to Jerusalem, and He's instructing them. Then we have chapter 17 as He prays. And then chapter 18 opens up with Judas bringing that mob into the Garden of Gethsemane. This cha- these chapters, 14, 15, to 16, are full of instruction from our Lord Jesus Christ to His disciples before He's about to leave them. In chapter 16 and verse 7, He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away... The Comforter will not come on to you. But if I depart, I will send him on to you. And then in verse 13, he says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He repeats it again in chapter 16. So let's begin this morning by looking at 15 and 16 and 17 together. Let me read it one more time. If you love me, Keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I have told you that if you love me, You will keep my commandments. We dealt with that verse last Lord's Day. Now he adds the word and at the end, at the beginning of verse 16. Verse 15 and 16, connected with that English word and, used to connect two verses to show that the truth in these two verses cannot be separated. They are tied together so that they are inseparable. Not only that, but he says it again using exactly the same word. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter. That also connected to the prayer. The answer is coming. The answer to my prayer is not able to be separated from the prayer. What are we to learn from this? First off, right from the beginning of this message. We are to learn that John 14, verses 15 and 16, cannot be separated. And that teaches us the absolute necessity of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a child of God who loves and seeks to obey his God. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will send you the Spirit. The scripture teaches us that God's children are loved because the Lord first loved them. We saw that last week. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. They also teach us that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author. The one who began faith in us. Faith had a beginning. And it came from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the author of it. And he is the finisher of it. 
he sustains it. We, at some point in our life, began to believe in Christ. We continue to believe in Christ. And then one day we're going to step off in glory and our eyes are going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And faith will no longer be necessary because now we have what we have believed. Now we have the sight and it is finished. Faith has a beginning. Faith has an end. Love has a beginning. Love will culminate in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love will continue forever. And then there's one other thing. They also teach us that the presence of God is necessary in our life because it is God working in us. It is God working in us that causes us to will and to do of His good pleasure. Philippians 2 in verse 13. For it is God in you which worketh in you to do both will and do of his good pleasure. These three truths form a foundation for our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, having begun, believes God and seeks to do his will. Love, having begun, believes, loves God and seeks to do his will. And the presence of God in us by his Spirit works in us to will and do. And we seek to do His will. These three truths are coupled together, bound together in these first verses here in John chapter 14. Verse 16. Our Lord promises His disciples to send them a comforter. The comforter is the spirit of truth sent by the Father and by the Son of God. Now this raises some questions, and you know how I preach and teach. Sometimes I'll ask questions so that I can provoke you to think and then seek to answer them from the Scriptures. Because he says, I'm going to send the Spirit of God. Well, here's the questions. Did they not already have the Holy Spirit? What is meant by our Lord's words that another comforter the Greek, another of the same kind of comforter would be given to our Lord's disciples. Did they not already have the Spirit of God? What does the promise of the coming comforter indicate about the need of the disciples and about our own need? Well, let me try to answer some of these questions. First, regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration, by that I mean being born again, is absolutely necessary in every sinner, whether they're in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. No one is ever converted, no one is ever saved, no one enters into the kingdom of God without first being able, being born again, and that by the Spirit of God. All are sinners, the scripture teaches that, and all are sinners who are dead in their sins. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. All, every sinner from the Old Testament to the New, every sinner from the time Adam fell to the end of time, all are sinners. And all are dead in trespasses and sinners. In the day that you eat thereof, you shall die. 
and he died spiritually and from that day forward everyone born from Adam has been born dead in sins and trespasses and in that condition the Spirit of God must give them life in the Lord Jesus Christ or they die in their sins. That is true. It is a doctrine that is foundational from Genesis to Revelation. So the first answer to the question is, has the Holy Spirit been working in their lives? Do they have the Holy Spirit? Of course they do. They've been born again. They've been born again. What else is true? What else happens? All, the second thing is this. All sinners, as I said, must be born again. That new birth is a work of the Spirit of God in the heart and soul. It changes the heart and causes the sinner to be able to see the things of God. Except to be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. To be able to see the things of God. To hear the word of God. To understand with the heart spiritual things. To love the Lord Jesus Christ. With a new heart that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. To trust the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. And for justification and for everlasting life. And to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to preserve my soul all the way into eternity. That work of regeneration is done in the heart of everyone that is saved. In Ezekiel, it's explained this way. Ezekiel 11, verse 9. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. It's explained to us in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. And this is the covenant that I will make then with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. And in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. We remember our sins, don't we? Past and present. We remember them. What does God say about His work? I don't remember. I don't remember. I have put them away as far as the east is from the west. They are gone. They've been paid for. They've been washed away. They are not in my memory. I will not bring them up before you. I will not have a list when you stand before me. When you stand before me and I open the books and there is your name, it is blank. There is nothing against you because Jesus Christ has paid for that sin. Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Blessed truth. Especially in light of the Old Testament when God brings up the sins of Israel because they're under a covenant of works. Do you remember when you did this? Do you remember when you did that? Do you remember this? 
Blessed truth, the new covenant. Not only does the Spirit of God's work include regeneration, brethren, but the Holy Spirit work not only brings a dead sinner to life, but keeps them secure. How are we kept? How is it that we never lose our salvation? How is it that once we have been saved, God preserves us, not us? This is the scriptures. Ephesians 1.11, I mean 1.13. In whom, speaking of Christ, you also trusted. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We hear the gospel. We believe the gospel. Our hearts go out to the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that he has saved us from our sins, that he will forgive us of our sins, that he will give us everlasting life. And after we believe, he seals us with his spirit. He secures us. How long? Is that seal there? He stamps a seal on us. In the Old Testament, he shows us a picture of this. Judgment is coming to Israel. And he write, and Ezekiel's writing about this. And he sends an angel with an ink pen. You remember that? And he says, you write my name on their forehead. And then he sends an angel with a sword. And he says, don't touch anyone whose name is written. And the, my name is written on their forehead. They are sealed. They are secure. You cannot bring them into judgment. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, the second half. You are sealed unto the day of redemption. That day is a day of resurrection. You are sealed by the Spirit of God until you are brought secure into heaven, body and soul, to be ever with the Lord. Sealed. Now that's true of us in the New Testament. But what about the Old Testament? I was raised under the teaching that the Old Testament saints had a spirit, but they came, that he went and came and left. They were not always sure that he was there. That's what I was taught. I, I later understood that doctrine is wrong. Isaiah 26 in verse... No, I, 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 let me get back up. I'll get to that verse in a minute. I understood that doctrine was wrong. Because I understood that if we are ever to be saved and brought into glory, it'll, because we, it'll be because we have kept by the power of God unto salvation. God has sealed us. And God has secured us as his property. And God has said to us in the Old Testament and in the New, you're mine. No one's going to take you from me. No one's going to be able to take you out of my hands. You are mine. You belong to me. And the third thing about the Holy Spirit, and so they were sealed. These believers that Jesus Christ is speaking of when he says, I will send another comforter, they are already been sealed because they've already been believed. They've already believed. The third aspect of the Holy Spirit work that I believe they had as well as Old Testament saints is this. The Holy Spirit works 
in us to produce our works for God. He is working in us to will and to do of God's good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. Isaiah 26.12. I started to quote it a while ago and I got ahead of myself. Isaiah 26.12. The prophet Isaiah says this. Thou, hast, thou also hast wrought all our works in us. God. If we have works approved of God. God, Isaiah says, if we have works that bring glory to you, if we have works that have to do with a spiritual kingdom, if we have works that are fruit of true relationship with you, thou has worked all of our works in us. That sounds like the New Testament, doesn't it? That we are his workmanship created unto Christ Jesus on two good works. Or Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. These three truths, brethren, the Holy Spirit brings us to life, the Holy Spirit seals us, and the Holy Spirit works within our heart and soul, in, within the heart and soul of each believer, is true of all believers, Old Testament and new. That is true. And so something else is being taught here besides those three things. Isaiah, I'm sorry, John 15, verse 26 and 27 teaches us, teaches us that the spirit of truth will teach us. John chapter 14 says that he will abide with you be forever. And he doesn't teach us here. And it's chapter 16 that he teaches us that he's going to teach us. That the Spirit of God is given us to teach us. What is our Lord saying when he is saying to his disciples in verse 16, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. The English word comforter is derived from the Greek word parakletos. It's different than the one in verse 18. Parakletos means one that comes alongside of us. One who stands with us to help us. Unfortunately, when we read the English word comfort, we most often think only of someone who is there for us when we're facing troubles or when we're sad or we're in a trial and we need someone to come along and console us. Someone to lay his hand on our shoulder and say it's going to be okay. That's how we define the word comfort most of the time. And when we see it in English that's how we understand it most of the time. And though the word comfort usually does mean that uh, the Holy Spirit is comforting us, yet it has a much deeper meaning. It means to strengthen and to empower. I will send you someone else, someone like myself, a comforter, another 
of the same kind of comforter who will be with you alongside of you to strengthen you, to empower you, to give you what you need. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will send someone to empower you, someone to strengthen you. What has the Lord Jesus Christ been doing to his disciples for three and a half or so years? Coming alongside them, teaching them, coming alongside them, giving them what they need. Did he not empower them to preach the gospel, to cast out demons, to heal the sick? Has he not empowered them in their Christian walk? Has he not sustained them against one argument after another by the Pharisees? He has been with them to help them. The Holy Spirit indeed will comfort us. God calls himself by the name, the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. He will comfort us. But the Greek word, parakletos, it's much broader than just simple comfort. Word, this word teaches us that the Holy Spirit has been sent to be with us when we must face the opposition of the world as we are involved in our Master's work. Did he not say in verses 14 and 15 that the works that I do you shall do and greater works also? Did he not say you're going to be involved in the work of the kingdom? Did he not say to them that they were going to end up doing greater works? How are they going to do that in opposition to the world? They had seen the opposition of the religious Jews. They have seen the opposition of the evil one against the Lord Jesus Christ. How are they going to do greater works? He is going to be sent to be beside them as they face the opposition of the world. When they face the opposition of the evil one, while they are laboring for the cause of God and truth, and when they face the opposition of their own weakness and their own frailty as they're seeking to obey Him. If you love me, you can obey me. Yes, as I preached, He said, Acapeo, right up here, this is the love. Peter said, No, no, my down, mine down here, but it is love. It's phileo. Mine can't reach here. But I got that much. And when our own weakness and our own struggles and our own sin rises up as we seek to obey Him, we need someone to come alongside us to strengthen us, to empower us, to give us what we need to take the next step forward. The Holy Spirit will be with the children of God to come to our aid, to strengthen us, to protect us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How does that verse teach us about the Spirit of God's work to come to our aid, to strengthen us and protect us. Let me make this statement. The first work 
of the Holy Spirit being with us is to testify to our hearts that God is our Father. That Almighty God has committed Himself to us to be for us a Father. And we are His children. The true God has committed Himself to be our Savior, our shield, our protector, our provider, our security, our everything. This is what the Spirit of God is bearing witness to. The Spirit bears witness to our hearts that God is for you in whatever circumstance you find yourself in this morning. And that, beloved, is a strength. God with us. God in us. God for us. That strengthens our hands to the cause that is before us. That's the first. Galatians 5.17. There is a second work. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another. They cannot live in peaceful unity. They're at odds with each other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. There's a controversy over that last phrase. So that you cannot do the things that you would. My understanding of it this morning is this. The Holy Spirit is in us to strengthen us. To stand against the sinful tendencies that want it to go to the right hand or to the left. So that we end up not doing all that is in left in us that's driving us away from Christ. When we fall, it is the Spirit of God in us that brings us back. When we take a step to the right hand, He brings us back. When we take a step to the left hand, He brings us back. When we err, He corrects us with truth. When we err, He convinces us of what is right. There is this battle going on. There are these failures that we face. And except the Spirit of God is in us, we would have fallen a long time ago into a pit of despair and sin. But He is there. And His second work, after convincing us that we are God's, is to keep us focused on that work which belongs to our God. The third thing I want to mention, Ephesians 3 and verse 16, that He, God, would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might in the inner man. This goes along with what I just got through saying. The outward man is perishing. There are some of us past the age of 60. There are, there's one of us past the age of 70. <laughs> All of us, well, no, we have children here, do we not? Let me make this statement. All of us are getting older. Children, you think you're strong and you can do anything. I did. Maybe you don't, but I did. And I was strong, and God gave me an amazing ab ab ability, a strength. When I was 40 years, five, 45 years old, I could outwork an 18-year-old teenager. 
he would drop and sit down under a shade tree and I'd still be working. That was the Lord. I'm not boasting. But something has happened along the way. <laughs> and I don't have that anymore. And if you do, praise the Lord, because it's coming in one of these days, you're not going to have it. And injuries have taken their toll. And uh, health issues have taken their toll. And the outward man is perishing. And oh, what an effect that has upon our minds and upon our hearts. When the heart wants to do more and can't. When the soul desires to climb that mountain and can't. The Spirit of God in us strengthens us on the inner side, on the inside, and gives us an ability that sometimes causes us to marvel. I cannot tell you the number of times I've gone home in exhaustion after having preached, and only to wake the next day to see testimony or hear this or that of what God has done. Going away thinking, what a failure. What I, I am, what a servant of God has failed the Lord again today, only to find God do something out of weakness, out of frailty. What is that? Well, we cannot confess it is of us. Anybody that's walked with God for any length of time knows it is not me. What is it? Well, it is the Spirit of God with us. It is that other comforter, one like our Lord Jesus Christ, who have come alongside us and done for us uh, something in the wills, done for us something in the heart, done for us something in the soul. And we find the grip on the plow becomes a little stronger. And the next step has a little bit of a, of a spring in it when we were just dragging moments before. Have you not seen that? Have you not experienced that? And that's the Spirit of God in you. And that's why he says, I'm going to pray and the Father's going to send him because you need him. You need him to come alongside of you, not just to comfort. That word is important. But you need strength and power you do not have in yourself. You need something that the natural man cannot produce. The work of God is spiritual and it can only be produced by the Spirit of God. And that leads me to the next point. Point number four. 1 Peter 4 and verse 14, if you're taking notes. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. You're reproached for the name of Christ and you're happy? <laughs> Those two things don't seem to be inconsistent together. You suffer persecution for Christ and you're happy? How can that be? Happy are ye? Peter doesn't stop there. He says, for, because. Well, you're happy because the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Do you understand what Peter just said, brethren? 
you, you suffer reproach, you've, you've, you're hammered because you're a follower of Christ, you're persecuted here or there, in the name of Christ, you've embraced it, you say to others, I'm a follower of Christ, and they mock you, and they, they hold you in, uh, at arm's length or in disdain. And something sort of wells up inside along the way. You're sad about that, but something along the way sort of makes you happy and, and you go out saying, thank you, Lord. That's not natural. Well, of course it's not. The spirit of, of glory and a God resteth upon you. So that from the inside, something just wells up. And uh, all of a sudden, let them talk. <laughs> let them do what they're going to do. I'm his and he is mine. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our life ensures that the joy of the Lord is going to be our strength. Despite reproach, despite Despite what the world may heap upon us, despite what those who profess to know Christ may heap upon us, there is something from the depths of the soul and the heart that keeps us happy in the things of Christ. Now, it always doesn't always show up. I have shed my tears. I have sat in my chair sad. I have sat grieved and burdened. But as I've picked up the Word of God, to read, to search, is there anything in here for me today? The Spirit of God comes alongside. And a word or a verse begins to fill the well again. The empty cup begins to fill with overflowing. The table is once again spread with a feast before mine enemies. These Reasons, these four and many, many others that I'm going to try to deal with in the next few minutes. Tell us why Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples and saying, I'm going away, but I'm going to pray that God send you another just like me who comes alongside you. Yes, he will comfort you, but, and he will teach you. We're going to see that in a few minutes, but he's coming along to strengthen you to empower you. This promise is also to the Lord's churches. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul writing to that local church, speaking to that church, says, Know ye not that ye, you, this church, is the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth with you, in you. It also teaches us, the New Testament does, that we cannot do, as a church, we cannot do without the presence of the Spirit of God. Now there's debates and arguments on right hand and the left as to what that, how that is demonstrated. And I hope to show you this morning some of the scriptures. There are errors, I think, on both sides. And if the Spirit of God is here, this is what's going to be present in the church. And if the Spirit of God is here, this is what's going to be present in the church. But what does the Word of God say? With the presence of God in His church, what does the Word of God say? 
Well, first, it's it. God is present with you. God is dwelling with each one of his children, but he's also dwelling with his churches to testify that he is with us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, there's another truth here. For through him, that is through the Spirit, we both, or through Christ, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. He's take, that's spoken in, of a local church context. By the, through the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God, we have access to the Father. The Spirit of God working in the Lord's churches and among God's people, giving them access, stirring their hearts to pray and to seek the Father's face. To pray God that He would help us to worship Him. That's what I prayed this morning. To pray God that He would help us to read and be able to understand the Word of God. To teach us from the Word of God. Because we know and understand that unless God does something, everything else is vain. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Another text. Now the Spirit, where the now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's another testimony or evidence of the presence of the Spirit of God. That tied together with Ephesians 4 and verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Liberty and unity. Two of the greatest evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a local church are these. First, He enables us to serve the living God with liberty of soul and heart and mind and body. We feel free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're in a church that is preaching the truth, you are being set free to serve the Lord according to how God is working in your life. I don't know how many times over the course of my ministry as a, as a pastor, someone has come to me and said, Brother Pat, um, I think I'd like to do this. And I'm their pastor and I know, oof, that might not work out. I, you know, I don't say that, okay? But I usually say, brother or sister, are you sure that the Lord is directing you in that? Go home and pray about that. I'll pray with you. Be sure it's the Lord first. Because if not, you're going to bind yourself in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a service, in a ministry, and it's going to be ball and chain and shackles. Not freedom, not liberty. I've seen in my whole ministry people trying to do something that, they, that God has not equipped them to do. They might start, and it looks good, but then, boom, downhill. How many times have I counseled people? Are you sure that the Spirit of God is giving you the liberty to do that? And the second aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in a local church is that He enables the saints to serve the living God together. And I've told you before that the work of the Spirit of God is not conformity, but uniformity. Not uniformity, but conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not saying that we all have to dress alike, think alike, sing alike, thankfully. 
By the way, pray for a song leader. After you, when you pray for song books, God, we need a song leader. You will not offend me if you pray that way. I've been praying. I need help. I know what my calling is. I will lead this assembly as much as I can, but I am not a song leader. But I will do my duty until God brings us somebody. Unity. Free and unified. Free to serve the Lord. And unified in our efforts to serve the Lord. Free to do what God wants me to do. With the gifts he's given me to do. Recognized by others. And unified. I've had the privilege over the years of, of pastoring churches that have this, this liberty and this unity. And it's a tremendous blessing. It doesn't just spring up. We have to labor at it. In fact, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, endeavor to maintain or keep the unity of the Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The truth of God's Word and the presence of the Holy Spirit sets us free from the bondage of human tradition and human religion. The truth of God's Word and the presence of the Holy Spirit unites our hearts for a common cause. The cause of God and truth. We may have different culture, cultural backgrounds. We may have different ethnic backgrounds. But there is a unified effort in the cause of God and truth. That's the working of the Spirit of God in a local church. In John chapter 14, in a few verses later, he says, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And I'm running out of time, and I have so much more to say. Let me try to quickly come and bring this together. John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. But when the Comforter is come, he shall testify of me, and ye shall bear witness of me. John 16 and verse 13, the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. These verses teach us something more about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, sending the spirit of God and the ministry of the spirit in the midst of believers and the church. So what do we learn from this? One of the evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit with one of the Lord's churches is that truth is set free, is learned, and is practiced. Truth is set free. I learned a long time ago as a pastor to try to study the Word of God till I have a sense of what the truth of it is and just deliver it. And then leave it in the hands of the Spirit of God to take it to the hearts of the people of God. Just deliver it. It's not my responsibility to come alongside you and come into your house and force you into a mold of what I just preached this morning. It's the Spirit of God's responsibility.
First, what are some of the things that the Holy Spirit teaches the children of God? It must be stated first that the Holy Spirit teaches the children of God from God's Word. From God's Word. I had a man come into my pulpit. I know my, my pulpit. No, that would not happen. I came in, I had a man come into my office and say to me, I believe God is directing me to divorce my wife. Whoa. No, sir. It is not the Holy Spirit. It is not the Holy Spirit. What does God's Word say about that? Now, there are grounds for that, and we can discuss that, but this was not the issue with this man. He had focused his eyes on another woman. That was his problem. He was the one at error, not her. The Holy Spirit teaches the children of God from the Word of God. That's the foundation from which we're working. The Holy Spirit reveals the spiritual blessings reserved for us in Christ. The Word of God says we have spiritual blessings reserved for us in Christ. Paul said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God. We have received the Spirit to know what God has given us in Christ Jesus. And that comes from studying the Scriptures. What has God given us? What do we have in Christ? What blessings has He stored up for us that are being bestowed upon us day by day? We learn that from the Scriptures. These things are revealed in the Word of God and taught as we grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, taught by the Spirit of God. We are not born fully mature Christians, understanding the full realm of salvation when we're born again. We come little by little to understand what we have in Christ. And every time the Spirit of God is teaching us, He is teaching us more and more of what Christ has done for us. Then He is sent to lead us so that we might learn how to walk with God. Romans 8, 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Led, leading us. Why? Because we don't know how to walk with God. Did, did you know how to walk with God when you were born again, when you first came to Christ? Did you know anything about what it is to be a Christian? I, I was raised Roman Catholic. And then nothing, and pagan. I, I was irreligious. And then God saved me. What do I know about true Christianity? I know nothing. So the Spirit of God leads. This is how you walk. This is what it means to walk with Christ. Enoch walked with God. Well, what does that mean? He walked with God. Well, this is what it means. And he begins to teach us what the will of God is. He begins to empower us and strengthen us and enable us that despite the remaining sin, despite the constant enemies, despite the hatred of the world, we continue walking with God. He teaches us how to do that. 
And then he was sent to strengthen us and to empower us so that we may be enabled to do the will of God despite whatever is there. Whatever we face. First, Second Corinthians chapter 6. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians chapter 12. I may come back to this next week. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Quickly, I want to come with this. The Spirit of God is in us to teach us. He teaches us the way of God. We don't know His ways. We don't even know Him, and we come to know Him, but we don't know His ways. How does God work? Now that I'm saved, am I I'm going to be ushered off into heaven in a, in a bed full of rose petals? No more problems, no more sin, nothing but sinless perfection from now until I step off into glory. Is that what it is? Or what does it mean? The ways of God. Paul said that he prayed three times that God would remove this thorn in the flesh from him. And God's answer comes back, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul comes to understand something about God and his ways with that answer. Spirit of God is in him teaching him. Paul, God does not always deliver you. Sometimes he leaves you. Why does he do that? I don't understand. Well, let me show you. Paul says, oh, well then, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. I didn't understand that in weakness I made strong. I didn't understand that if he didn't heal me, his grace was going to be sufficient. And I would be able to continue and in fact... More than just continue, I would rise to a different level of Christianity. I would begin to learn, as he says, therefore do I take pleasure in infirmities. I will begin to learn that infirmities are not a negative thing from God's hand, but a good thing from God's hand for me. But not only that, reproaches, and then he says necessities. There is a prevalent teaching among all of Christianity in America that we are so blessed of God that we should never have a need. That we should never go hungry. Never be without clothes. Necessities. Never do without a house or a car or a job. We think that way because we look at Christianity in America. Come with me to other nations. People who serve the Lord with all their heart. In great necessity. Great necessity. When I first arrived in the shores of India, I... Several months later, I wrote back and said we could put a million dollars a year into this nation 
and it would be a drop of water on a dry sponge, it would never satisfy the poverty that is in this nation. And so I preach a gospel that says God is in you to strengthen you and empower you to live in Christian, your Christian life in whatever circumstances he has put you in. In America, we prosper, and that can be a good thing and a bad thing. We sometimes forget that it's God who's prospering us. In that nation, they don't have prosperity. And they work from six till six for enough food for that day. And then do the same thing the next day. The Spirit of God will be with you to teach you. And there are lots of things we need to learn, brethren. A lot of things. And the disciples, been with Christ three and a half years or so, and he's getting ready to leave them. And they need someone to teach them, to help them, to strengthen them, because what they're going to face in the next few years is going to be Powerful, a powerful onslaught against truth. Now, if they're to come through that, do the work of God, they need someone to come alongside them. And this is what Jesus Christ is talking about. And I ask the question what does it say about them and about us? We also need. The comforter to come alongside and strengthen us and empower us and give us what we need and teach us what it is to walk with God. May the Lord be pleased to give that to us. May the Lord be pleased to answer our prayer as he did our Lord's prayer. May the Lord be pleased to teach us our, the utter dependence that we should have on the Spirit of God in our life. Let's pray together.